You're listening to episode 50 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara. He's Alex. This is the World Series. But for the Cardinals, this is the beginning of winter. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the World Series edition of Chirps. However, not quite the World Series edition we may have been hoping for. On a more positive note, though, it is episode 50 of Chirps, which is a cool number to achieve in and of itself. We appreciate all of you for listening to that many episodes. But also, uh, Alex, I mean, it feels like we are obligated to at least tip the hat to Adam Wainwright for episode 50 of the show. And I mean, that's a whole conversation I'm sure we'll have at some point this season about Adam Wainwright, what his future holds or what his legacy means to the Cardinals. But for now, just a, a tip of the old cap to uh, to Uncle Charlie himself. Always. One of my favorite Cardinals. Uh, he, he will go down uh, whenever he retires. I don't know when that'll be, but he will eventually be one of, oh my goodness, Soto just hey, hit a monster. There Did it you is. See that? Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're all watching. <laughs> we're watching the World Series game right now as we're, uh, sorry, Wayne, right? You're, you're yesterday's news right now. We're now talking <laughs> well, about Soto's home run to uh, make it 3 2 Nationals in the fifth inning. Wow, that was a bomb. We were talking before we started recording that uh, we're we're both uh, team nationals at this point, and it's always interesting in the World Series for me to kind of when my team's not in it, figure out who I'm I'm rooting for because I mean I'm a baseball fan, so I'm gonna watch, <laughs> but uh, it's more fun when you have a rooting interest. And I was already kind of in the Nationals corner for a variety of reasons, but the Astros have made it very easy to root against them in this, you know, last week or so. And even going back to the whole Justin Verlander incident earlier in the year, among other things. Uh, So they've very quickly and very uh, handily become the villain in this series for me, which makes that home run and the Nationals taking the lead in the fifth inning off of Verlander, nonetheless, that much more exciting to me. So that's kind of where I'm at with this World Series. (laughs) all in on the Nationals. Alex, I know that for you, it's a a little bit more, at least geographically personal to watch the Nationals try to pull this off and to do so after losing the three games that they played at home. Yeah, yeah. I I almost, uh, well, I shouldn't say almost. I contemplated going to one of the games, but the tickets were so expensive. um, And (laughs) I am very happy I did not. But like you said, I, I have a lot of – I'm definitely going for the Nats, um, regardless of uh, – e- even before all the shenanigans from the Astros. Uh, I don't even know if calling it shenanigans even justifies it. That almost makes it sound like silly or something. But, uh, yeah, I have a lot of friends who are, who are Nats fans. Um, you know, in spite of what you may have read, not every single Nats fan is just some bureaucrat or lobbyist <laughs> or defense contractor or, you know, whatever you want to say, you know. Um, they do have a real genuine fan base that feels just like any other baseball fan base you have ever come across. And yeah. Uh, and because of geography, um, I, I, it'd be nicer if they're in the American league. It's so much easier to have a second team in the other league. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I do cheer for them, I guess, um, kind of as a second team only just, uh, because I live here and, you know, it's fun to see, uh, the local team do well, but. Also, I'm going to interrupt you because they just showed a replay of that home run. And yeah, 
He carried the bag. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I just got a text message from a friend. That, yeah, he just he pulled the uh, Bregman thing or got Bregman back. Uh, I'm assuming that was deliberate. Uh, yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, Bregman hit a monster home run earlier in the game, and he kind of pulled a Pedro Serrano and carried the bat um, almost. Uh, I thought he was going to take it all the way around the bases, but he kind of flipped it right around first base. And then uh, Juan Soto did the exact same thing. So this is all pretty great. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we were talking about the Astros earlier. Um, I don't know how deep we need to go into the stupidity of basically everything their front office has done um, since the story broke with, uh, well, I believe, uh, Sports Illustrated reporter uh, yeah. talking about the assistant to the GM yelling ridiculous offensive things to her after they won the uh, ALCS. Um, and as you said, I don't need any extra reason to root for the Nationals because I was already rooting for the Nationals. Um, it does kind of suck for just like someone who ha- has been an Astros fan their whole life, you know, probably because of where they're born or who their parents are. Um, so they didn't have much choice in the matter. Um, they have zero control over what kind of idiots might be running the team, um, you know, and it's not their fault or their responsibility to, to um, you know, have to answer for this. It's not, yeah. you know, I, I don't feel like Astros fans should have to, you know, be holding press conferences to explain themselves. <laughs> um, you know, it's not their fault that their team uh, is not pulling off a very good look right now, um, in spite of the fact that they're one of the best teams that, that we have seen, at least on the field. Uh, so I guess I do feel for them a little bit. Uh, I also feel for the Sports Illustrated reporter that the, their front office basically tried to um, shame or discredit, yeah. uh, basically, you know, almost ruin her reputation. So... Yeah, they deserve the front office uh, deserves every single bit of criticism they have gotten so far, and then some. It's interesting to me, uh, and I guess sort of like interesting in the way that sometimes these dark things are interesting. But um, as far as Luna is concerned, right? Because we, as Cardinals fans, for a long time have had him sort of on this pedestal as almost like the one that got away because of what he's done mm-hmm. with the Astros, turning them into what they are on the field. And let's be clear, he did that by letting them be the worst team in baseball consecutive. Like, it wasn't just this, he showed up and magically they were going to win 100 games. Like, there's a process there that most Cardinals fans would not be okay with if he had tried to do that or anyone had tried to do that in St. Louis. So that's a whole other conversation. But I feel like because of the success they've had on the field with the teams that he's put together because of his success in the Cardinals front office, as far as scouting and drafting and those sorts of things. And because of the whole hacking scandal that now seems like such a microscopic blip in comparison to some of these other things that we're talking about, as far as like where the moral line is with him, it's a, it's a little strange to kind of, take a step back and and be able to look at him and the decisions that he makes and how he goes about kind of the business end of baseball and see it maybe not through those rose colored glasses that we have for many years as Cardinals fans and see it as like, no, he's just another businessman who thinks he can get away with this crap because he's in a position of power and authority and Oh yeah, they play really good baseball. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I have a couple thoughts on what you just said, and I think what you that was all very well said. Um, number one is I absolutely hate tanking. Um, yeah, a, across all sports, um, 
to the point that, and this is kind of related to this, but kind of just in general, I would like to get rid of the draft as it exists. Um, mm. And if it does stay in place, I'd like it to be random. Uh, I, 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 I don't see why we should reward teams for being bad. Um, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, I've never quite understood that. That said, I, I think it, it would be very hard to make an argument that Lunau is not very good at what he does. He, he yeah. clearly is. He was good in St. Louis. He was good. Um, he obviously has been good in Houston, despite the process that I find quite offensive. And like what you said, I would not have been in support of that had he tried to pull that off in St. Louis. Um, even though that opportunity never quite presented itself, if it had, meaning it was obvious it was time for a total teardown, and they did that and then some just to rack up those draft picks, I would have been up in arms about it. Yeah. Uh, three, and last point, in spite of all that, I do not miss him at all. <laughs> I do not miss him at all, especially in light of um, all this stuff that has come, uh, come to light. Yes, he's very good at what he does. He's a very smart man. Um, I'm glad he's in Houston and not St. Louis. Yeah, you know, I think the sort of like squeaky clean, we want good people, not just good baseball players thing that has sort of become synonymous with the Cardinals, whether it's accurate or not, it's it's often thrown around as a negative, right? Like they don't want to go after the best player because they want to make sure he's a good clubhouse guy or that he's a good whatever. I honestly prefer that (laughs) to intentionally and vocally going after a guy that you know is problematic as a human being because you're like, nah, we can get him for cheap. Why not? So, I mean, if those are the options, I I think that um, I'm I'm pretty content with the way my team has approached things. Although, and we'll talk about this as we go throughout the offseason and even a little bit tonight. This front office has its own issues in St. Louis with how they've done the business part that Jeff Lunau seems to be so good at. But I mean, if you don't have to sell your soul to get to that point, I think that's ideal. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's also worth pointing out that at some point, every fan base is probably going to have to grapple with this on some level, whether it's their team trading or signing um, a player of questionable character, whether it's their front office engaging in um, kind of these gross hijinks, whether it's um, the complete manipulation of service time like the Cubs did with Chris Bryant, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know kind of a saga that's ongoing right now um, because of the, the grievance he filed, whether it's uh, Lunau and just totally you know, just the way he he treated uh, that reporter and just how much they just well, bungled the whole aftermath of it, you know, in terms of... And it's this, not the first time, by no, the way. Like, no. they did essentially not the same to the same level or with the same uh, subject matter, but the whole Justin Verlander issue was also with a reporter. And they handled that very poorly and essentially just brushed it under the rug and never actually dealt with it, hoped everyone would forget, and most well, people did. Well, yeah, I was about to say, I kind of forgot. I saw yeah. Verlander standing on the mound earlier, and I was like, we were mad at him earlier this season. Why was that? And I had to I had to think for a couple seconds and if to, you've re- also to forgotten, remember why he, that was. He basically wouldn't let a, a particular reporter in the room for his postgame comments like it was was for a really dumb reason wasn't it yeah yeah i mean basically he didn't like how that reporter had written something in the past it's more nuanced than that but essentially it's like 
Justin Verlander versus this reporter. And um, like, there are rules about that kind of stuff, about access that these people have. And an individual player can't just decide to sidestep those rules and, you know, keep a, a, a reporter from doing his job. That's not how it works. So, and, and the Astros basically were like, mm, sorry about you. And that was the extent of it. So there, there's an issue that's ongoing with the way that they kind of interact with at least some portions of the media there, which is, <laughs> which is a, a bit of a national story in and of itself, not the nationals, but you know, like a, like a, just in society these days. But, um, it's, you know, something that they don't want you to talk about and they don't want you to think about. And they kind of got caught up in it. Not kind of, they very much got caught up in it at this juncture of the season. And they were forced to deal with it this time because of the severity of the things that were said and the way that they reacted. So yeah, I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that that is typical of a world series that that kind of story takes precedence over what's going on on the field because I mean, look, these are two really good baseball teams and they're it's been competitive. I don't know that they've been the most exciting games of all time for the most part because it's sort of been fairly one-sided um, in, in most of these wins. But uh, all of that to say, <laughs> go Nats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Joe Sheehan had some comments about what you just said, which is that the games, um, even though you know we're talking about a 3-2 series, we're talking about game six in the World Series, but the games haven't been that exciting. Mm-hmm. And... A couple reasons for that. He talked about how the fact that one of the factors is is the fact that the road team has won every game. So one that eliminates yeah. any possible chance of a walk off, you know, win. Obviously, uh, two because the road team has won every game and often it's been a bit lopsided. The crowds haven't really been into the right. games, you know, uh, late into uh, late into the games when you, you typically want to see them, where you typically want to see games be exciting and stuff. So. Hopefully this game is kind of shaping up to be uh, the classic, uh, you know, game of the series because you know as we've seen before, it doesn't matter if games one through five uh, are boring if games six <laughs> and seven are awesome. Right. No, no one's right. going to care about games one through five. So there's still, uh, yeah, hasn't been that great so far, but I don't think the full story has been written yet. I certainly hope not, and hopefully there's a game seven to uh, to talk about as well. We are, though, based on what, what we were talking about earlier, what you mentioned earlier, going to have to have Kyle on a show this offseason to talk about mm-hmm. our plan for restructuring the draft, obviously. Yeah. Um, so so <laughs> well, bookmark that. <laughs> real, real quick, um, before we move on, I want to yeah. read you a tweet that just came across my timeline. Because okay. I, it's from a blog of their own. You, you, okay. You know, Uh, We all know her. She's great. She tweeted, this was after uh, Soto's home run. Uh, The next guy to hit a home run should gallop around the bases riding his bat like a hobby horse. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I will say this. We could talk about this uh, evidently boring World Series for quite some time, but um, I do want to say this. I really think that it's interesting, maybe because I'm not that emotionally invested in either team, to watch the personalities in this World Series, because you have Soto that was just tormenting Cardinals fans in the series with the Nationals because of the personality, right? And then you have Alex Bregman, who's that same kind of guy. Um, And for them in this game to kind of be going at each other, not with any sort of subtlety, I think it's awesome. I think it's fun to watch. And I know that a lot of people will play the respect the game card because it's baseball and that's what we do. But man, it's, it, it is fun to watch that sort of 
kind of chess match within the baseball game where you see guys trying to get in each other's heads. And I mean, we saw it with the with the Braves and, and Carlos Martinez, right? There, there was that same sort of like, I'm going to get you off your game by doing something mostly harmless, but I know it's going to bug you. And maybe because the games haven't been that interesting, I find that to be a pretty interesting side note to this World Series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any sort of tension you can get uh, in these yeah. games is good. Uh, and, you know, you can't have tension if everyone is doing uh, the sort of, you know, showboating or whatnot, but no one's getting mad about it. You need, right. you need people getting mad about it for it to be really fun. Uh, that's I mean, we why, talked about that. Yeah, that's why I said a couple <laughs> weeks ago, I support, um, and I don't mean this in like a in like a ironic way, but I fully support people getting mad about uh, bat flips and stuff like that, because I yeah. recognize that these people are competitors and that's what happens when you're uh, competing uh, for such high stakes, uh, like a freaking world series. So yeah, let's, uh, uh, let's have some fun. Let's see some people get mad uh, and people do some cool stuff and you know, it will all be better for it. I want, this is my challenge for the people that are listening to this show on Twitter, I want you to tag Alex and me, but come up with the <laughs> the equivalent of either a bat flip or getting mad about a bat flip in your profession. <laughs> like what what would it be for someone who, you know, in your workplace essentially bat flipped and would you be mad about it? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Because we did talk about it a couple of weeks ago, but I find it um, quite a hilarious thought process to like, I'm, I'm working in TV and, you know, somebody just crushes an interview and flips the mic and walks away and would like, <laughs> I don't know, it just come up with whatever it is in your profession that would be the equivalent of a bat flip. And um, then tell me if you'd be mad if, if someone did that to you, because I think we probably would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of what it would be in mine. Uh, I'll I'll chime in later if I can think of. Okay, yeah, I I mean the mic thing is just the first thing that popped into my head. It's not a great it's not a great analogy. So I'll come up with a better one for me. You come up with one for you, and we'll see what we can we'll see what kind of conversation we can stir up. Great. <laughs> okay, but there is more to talk about besides just this World Series, although not a lot because most teams. Um, kind of follow baseball's lead and don't break news until after the World Series is over. However, some teams are beginning to fill their manager vacancies, including the Chicago Cubs, bringing in one and only David Ross, which has been an interesting conversation um, over the last few days. Uh, I, I think... Well, let me just let me just start here. What do you think about David Ross, manager of the Chicago Cubs? Um, I think a couple things. Mainly, I don't know. Uh, he could be great. He could be terrible. Uh, I would be very cautious about that choice if I was a Cubs fan. Um, because of the fact that one, he has zero managerial experience. Um, you know, he hasn't been a bench coach. He hasn't uh, managed in Des Moines. Um, he he has he has zero. Uh, so there's that. There's also the fact that he uh, is a very beloved member uh, of that franchise, mostly because he was on the team that won the World Series. And as we've seen with former players who go on to become managers, 
your relationship changes <laughs> with them once they're in that seat. Once you know, once they're making decisions that you can second guess on Twitter and whatnot. You know, I loved Mike Matheny as a player. I absolutely loved him, yeah. even though he couldn't hit a lick. I, I loved him because I, he was a good defensive catcher. He seemed uh, kind of like a glue guy. He seemed to be a very important. Uh, player on the field you know I don't know if that trope is true that you know had he been there for Ankeel's start in game one of the 2000 NLDS things wouldn't have gone to hell I have a hard time believing that just because the issue with Ankeel seemed way beyond um, whether who who happened to be beyond yeah. the, you know who happened to be his catcher at that moment that said Matheny did seem like a guy who one had a lot of respect um, from his teammates and yeah, I, you know what I mean, though. You remember yep. the Mike Matheny yeah. player. He was, he was. We all loved him, um, and that quickly changed when he became manager. It's why I don't ever want to see Yadier Molina managing the Cardinals or yeah. uh, whoever else that might be. I remember when. Uh, do you remember when they interviewed Matheny? If I recall, there was a brief flirtation with Ryan Sandberg, um, hmm. who who was, if I'm thinking correctly may have been managing in Peoria at the time when Peoria was still a Cubs affiliate, if I have my timeline correct. And I, there's a very good chance I do not. Did he manage in Peoria when they were still the Cubs? Okay. He were, did. were they still the Cubs affiliate or? I they- don't, I'm not sure when that switch happened. Okay. I don't know if that was pre Matheny or post. Okay. I, I believe Matheny. it was the same time when we were interviewing Matheny and Joe McEwing and um, even uh, I, I hate to even say it, but Francona, uh, what could have been? <laughs> but I remember being like, I could be down with Ryan Sandberg because if I, I, I'm, I'm totally up for hating Ryan Sandberg if I have to. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I won't feel bad saying fire this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like him anymore. You know, he's terrible. Uh, and also, it would have been kind of cool to like take one of the Cubs' best player of all time and dress him up in a Cardinals uniform and you know trot him out there. I thought that could be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry, I'm taking up a lot of time on your answer, on your question. But yeah, so <laughs> no, when good. it comes to David Ross, I really have no idea. You know, we've seen these go either way. Speaking of Sandberg, he did kind of have the re- the requisite experience, right, to be a manager right. when he got the gig with the Phillies, even though he hadn't um, managed at the MLB level. But he had paid his dues. He had the experience, and guess what? He was a he was pretty much a disaster, at least according to Phillies fans and a lot of the scribes at the time. So you just never know with these things. He could be great. He could be awful. Um, I'm, I couldn't be happier about it, frankly, because, you know, I, I don't love David Ross. <laughs> I don't like David Ross at all. Uh, not for anything personal. I, you know, mostly just because he was kind of that annoying Cubs player on that mm-hmm. 2016 team. The Grandpa Rossi thing was kind of annoying. Certainly his time at ESPN didn't endear himself <laughs> to me all that much. So yeah, I'm all for it. Bring him on. I'm ready to see him in the dugout and be able to say, I hate that guy. It is interesting when a player goes so quickly from being a player to being retired to being a manager. And I, I do think that that kind of breaks the spell of who the player was to the fans. I mean, it, particularly if it's managing the same team that he played for. Because as a manager, you're way more exposed, right? You can't hide behind leaving the clubhouse quickly after a game or behind, you know, your big moments as a player. You have to 
kind of start over and create those big moments for yourself as a manager. And I think it just exposes how you go about what that job is um, much more dramatically than than you're exposed as a player. So that'll be interesting. Um, I wasn't sure how to even begin to formulate an opinion on David Ross, the manager. So I actually sent a message on Twitter to Corey Finnerin from the Ivy Envy podcast, who I've had on for a couple of series previews. He's a he's a Cubs fan that I can have very reasonable conversations with uh, without deteriorating too quickly into the, um, you know, the the dredges of the fandom. But I asked him, you know, the day it happened, the day it was announced, what are your thoughts? And he kind of echoed a little bit of what you said, which is that uh, he has no idea. It's kind of that like very, very dramatic unknown because there's no precedent to draw from either from him as a manager or from kind of what the Cubs are looking for out of him and a manager. One thing that he did say that I thought was interesting is that he basically was saying um, that if this is the guy after multiple interviews, you know, one that took like like eight hours, I think uh, if that's the guy they felt was the best for the direction they're trying to go, then that's fine. But if this, and I'm reading this directly from his message. He said, if this is some Tom Ricketts influence decision to make Cubs fans feel warm and fuzzy, I'm not <laughs> pleased. So uh, it really could go either way with that right now, based on some of the decisions we've seen from the Cubs front office and ownership in the last year or two, which I think is a really interesting and sort of precarious position for them to be in. The other thing that Corey said is that this sort of warm, fuzzy Grandpa Rossi persona is not really um, it, it's not really who David Ross has been as a player and as a teammate. Sure. He's been the guy that, you know, f- makes sure that his teammates are living up to their expectations. And and there are stories from spring training when he was there and kind of calling out Anthony Rizzo. And so he's been the guy to keep everybody in line, even though he has sort of this big teddy bear persona that kind of carried over into the TV thing. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how, much of that sticks as far as the publicity and how long it takes him to shed some of that before you get to see a really clear and really exposed picture of, of who he is as a manager. So it is a an eerily similar situation to the Cardinals with Mike Matheny, but yeah. that doesn't mean it will fail. <laughs> it just means we have no idea. So one other thing I was just thinking about with regard to uh, David Ross and Matheny comparison. And, and I agree that y- you can't really compare them other than the fact that they each have no managerial experience um, yep. and are going into um, what, what I think most people consider two very good jobs. But where I do think there's another place you can compare him is to look at their predecessors um, and the mm. personalities that were there. And I, I hope I'm not... Um, saying something that's incorrect, but I, I feel like I've heard people say before that the thing with La Russa, and, you know, this isn't hard to believe when we're talking about La Russa, is he wasn't the easiest guy to control. You know, he would barge into their office right. and be like, this is who we, you know, I need you to trade this guy or need, I need you to pick up this guy. Just ask Colby Rasmus. <laughs> right. And you got this sense um, from the last two years of reading about the Cubs um, and, you know, reading between the lines is that there was similar tension between 
I've seen in Hoyer and with Madden, right? It doesn't mean that I feel yep. like that they hated each other, but they're, they're, they weren't always seeing eye to eye. Um, right. And so you often got the impression that the Cardinals brought in Matheny because perhaps because he had no experience and they thought they would have an easier time telling, basically telling him what to do or right. telling him this is how we're running our, our team. And for whatever reason, that didn't seem to quite work. I wonder if it's similar with the Cubs in that, look, we don't want a big personality again. And not saying David Ross isn't a big personality, but we don't want someone who's so established and entrenched in that seat that they don't really have to listen to us because they have um, enough pedigree where they can pull that off. So let's bring in a guy like David Ross who can really kind of carry out our mission and strategy as we want him to. I, I wonder if, if that could be going on. And if so, that seems like something I would be worried about if I were a Cubs fan. But I, again, you know, I'm, this is pure 100% spe- speculation. I don't think any of us will really know until we see it play out. I'm kind of curious what you think. Um, not that David Ross is a journalist or anything, um, <laughs> but, you know, just based on what you do for a living, he did. He has spent time in with the media, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, ESPN, uh, calling uh, the what Wednesday night games. Is that was that the games he usually did? Uh, something like that. Yeah. yeah, whatever. He did something. I um, generally didn't watch them. So. No, I, I really didn't enjoy that booth. Um, and maybe I'm biased. I don't know, but I really didn't enjoy that booth. Whatever. Um, I what do you think that couple years he spent in that booth will help him handle those? post-game press conferences better or do you think he'll be more defensive because all of a sudden people who he was I don't know if chummy with or who he saw as kind of like equals or colleagues are now kind of grilling him about things it is an interesting question and I'm sure that there's just even a, a hint of understanding that he has about what it takes to do that job but in the role that he played I doubt there was uh, a whole lot that involved kind of the the down and dirty covering games night in and night out sort of thing. I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of production meetings that he gleaned a lot of um, ideas from and, and kind of saw behind the curtain a little bit how the TV process works. But I don't know that I, I would say it gives him any sort of advantage in handling it. If anything... I think that he he might know a little bit more about the kind of information that any media outlet is going to be looking for. Yeah. But I feel like a guy that's been in the game as long as he have has as long as he has has answered so many questions from reporters that it's probably not a whole lot that he didn't know on that front. I think more than anything, um, it's just kind of the the like I said the the behind the curtain process of making tv happen and maybe a, a a little bit more respect for the work that goes into um putting on a, a broadcast like that with the information that they can get and i guess if there's something that i would say maybe will impact the way he does his job it's that in the role that he played or in a broadcast booth like that you're kind of only as good as the information that you have. So to some degree, he's now in a position to control at least some of the information that is given 
to those who will be talking about the team. So if it, if this is a sort of like puppeteer thing and they're trying to control the narrative, I mean, he knows now that on television, a lot of what you use is the information that you gather from someone else. So uh, maybe, maybe that's a thing that he can take into this new role from, from his previous one, his brief one with ESPN. But um, I don't know, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I'm not we sure that was see. a great answer, but I, we'll see. <laughs> I, it's kind of an unanswerable uh, question. So, as is everything with David Ross at this point, and in many ways, that's the case for pretty much everyone in baseball at this point. As we wait to see how the World Series ends, and then what things start to move, other than managerial choices, but a lot of that will happen later in the winter and. The winter meetings happen in December, and that hasn't been very interesting the last couple of years. But you know, who knows? We'll see what happens. There are a lot of there are a lot of things in baseball that will be discussed this offseason. I'm sure between the players and the CBA and um, how free agency works and how it didn't work last year and all those things. But this is a Cardinals podcast, so we should probably talk a little <laughs> bit about the Cardinals. So here's my question. Um, as we look at this winter, if you were John Mozeliak, well, not even not even if you were John Mozeliak, because I don't want you to answer this as John Mozeliak, but if you were in that position as the president of baseball operations, what is on your agenda as you kind of look towards the winter meetings and things that could happen this winter and how to reset for 2020 based on the highs and the lows of 2019 and how they set them up to move forward. So what would be on your agenda for this winter if you were in a position to set that agenda for the Cardinals? So I, I think you want to be able to earnestly look the fan base in the eye come March and say, we have improved the team. Uh, now that's obviously obvious, right? Uh, you know, so what I'm saying is like, they can't be like, well, you know, look, we want to want 91 games last year. Uh, we like, you know, kind of like those perfect mosaic quotes that he's so good at <laughs> where he says absolutely nothing, yep. you know, but he's, but he's so good at it. You almost respect it. Uh, it's because um, he says so many words yeah. that you think he had to have said something. And then you think about it later and realize, no, and actually he did it. And it's not, be, and it's very deliberate. It's, it's, oh, it's yeah. because he's smart. It's not because it's, he's dumb, but uh masterful but, like i have crazy respect for how many ways he cannot answer a question so so we think waka is going to be gone right almost we can right. almost for sure say waka is going to be gone let's say they sign wainwright to like another one of those one-year deals it would be nice if we can look at the pitching staff one through five next year and say, at least on paper, you never know how things are going to play out, but at least on paper say, this is a better pitching staff than we came into spring last year. Whether that means Carlos Martinez is in the rotation, and all of a sudden we're swapping out Michael Waka for Carlos, and we know what Carlos can do um, when he's a starting pitcher. Uh, whether that means, uh, oh my, you know, if by the grace of God somehow they sign Garrett Cole, then you know I will. I could not be happier. But I, you know, that seems to be like a long shot. Uh, but just something so they can say we have improved the starting pitching because we all know how important starting pitching is. Um, offense, Ozuna. Um, I, I would have to think he's going to be gone unless he's 
offered the qualif, you know, given the qualifying offer and he accepts it. Um, And I I think him being given a qualifying offer now is more unlikely than the latter, which is if he was given it, him accepting it. So I I could actually see him accepting it. Although he also might be getting up in um, age where he's thinking like, no, I need to sign that contract now. I don't know. But let's assume uh, Ozuna isn't back next year. Same thing. To be able to look at us and say, we think we have a better offense this year um, than last year in light of um, a player like Marcelo Ozuna being gone, who, you know, is a frustrating hitter, but at times can be a great hitter. Like, you know, there's, he's one of the few players that we probably don't win the NLDS if not for him. You can probably say that about a couple other guys as well. So what does that mean? I don't know. Obviously we have uh, Anthony Rendon, who's the other dream, you know, free agent candidate out there. I'm not banking on the Cardinal signing Anthony Rendon um, just because They've never been able to sign um, a free agent like that who is basically the top free agent, you know, of the offseason. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? I don't know. I, I mean, is Dylan Carlson going to be ready to, uh, to, to play in the outfield next year? Uh, and if he is, are we confident that he's going to be able to replace uh, Marcelo Zuna's bat? I mean, obviously that's a big unknown. But they have to be able to, I think, have a discernible plan that's transparent enough that the fan base buys it. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I really don't know what to say. And, and I think in terms of like, this is exactly what they need to do because obviously, you know, I, I don't have all the info. I'm not in that seat. But look, they just won the, the NL Central. They went to the NLCS. It was a successful season. They are one of the marquee franchises in baseball. It would be nice if they are at least in the conversation for these yeah. free agents. And, and, and I don't mean just like, you know, some like check to see which way the wind blows and bowing out. Like, I mean, seriously in the conversation, um, just to give like some credibility to like, look, we're the freaking St. Louis Cardinals. Like we, we, we view ourselves in a very, you know, you know, good yeah. light um, in and we des- we feel as though we deserve to be in on these guys. That's what I would like to see. It's going to be, we say this every offseason, it's going to be fascinating, though. I really think it is going to be fascinating. Yeah, I agree. And I think just to follow up on one thing you said, and then I'll give you my answer. Uh, I think that going from the season that they had, the way that the season ended, to like you said, being seriously in the conversation for some of these major upgrades would also just be an indicator. I know that we've talked about this before with the Cubs and the Brewers and the fact that you don't want to get into a a bidding war based on the perception of the other teams in, in the division, but it would kind of be an indicator that like they don't want this year to be a fluke. They don't want to have just stumbled into the division title because the Cubs fell apart and because the Brewers were too broken to finish out the season. So it would kind of put them in that position to at least publicly, at least sort of the persona, give the image of wanting to maintain control of the division, which I think is not necessarily the the most important factor there, but certainly one that is worth considering and, and being part of that conversation. So I, I like that part of it as well. So my answer to the question is kind of th- in three parts and it's sort of like reverse engineering the roster to begin with, because we've talked about this for years now, 
we don't even know what the Cardinals identity is anymore. <laughs> and I think this year we got a little closer to it as, as they kind of became that team that had this really great young pitching again. And that's for many, many years been their identity. But um, you know, you look at, at the Astros and they're like the baseball nerds when we're not dealing with their front office issues, but that's what they do is analytics and they do it really well and they take it as far as they possibly can. And it makes them successful the Nationals sort of have their own thing going on, and I'm not talking about Baby Shark, although we could. Uh, but they're like the team that has always had the pitching. They just haven't always had the timing of the offense and the pitching together. And they're also now the team that's doing it without Bryce Harper, which is just sort of a, a little cherry on top. And, you know, the Cubs have had their identity, kind of the the quirky we're going to do it our way kind of team and we'll see what happens with that now. And the brewers have kind of been the, the underdogs who are going to do it a totally different way, a way that no one else can do because of how Craig council does things. And we've kind of been waiting for the Cardinals to establish that identity. So we talked a little bit about this when they brought in Paul Goldschmidt, when they made that trade, then they signed him to the extension, then kind of, complicated that with extending Matt Carpenter as well. It's almost like there's still not a clear direction. There's still not a clear path. So one of the things that I would love to see is kind of this very murky picture of the future for the Cardinals start to take shape a little bit. And some of that, I think, depends on... (laughs) Something we probably will have no real read on until the season starts. And that is what their actual baseball philosophy is at this point, because the whole Jeff Albert thing is going to be a really interesting part of what happens in the next year or so. And this idea that there are players who buy in and there are players who don't, I think it might be a little blown out of proportion, but it's going to be part of the conversation. And that leads to the last part of this, which is I really think that they need to figure those first two things out because then they need to give themselves the right roster and and improved in the right ways because we've seen them make moves. We've seen them sign extensions that don't seem to actually push them towards this version of a team that they say they want to be. So they could go out and sign some like second tier free agent. I don't even know who that would be at this point or bring in some guy via trade that fits into their bullpen. But if it doesn't fit the kind of team that they're trying to become under Mike Schilt with Jeff Albert, kind of evolving the philosophy of how they do baseball as they go along, then I think you're going to end up with more guys that are kind of like, that's not how I play though. And that's not, going to help them move forward. So that was sort of my unpacking (laughs) backwards of what I think they need to do to the roster, because I think it all stems from having a really solid grasp of how they're going to do baseball. And I just, I, even in conversation like at blogger day or other times when we've had a chance to ask John Mazzella questions or, or seeing him talk to the regular St. Louis media, I don't know if it's, more of the same where he just doesn't answer the questions, but there's a really convoluted way of talking about what they want this team to be and how they want to evolve towards the new era of baseball, which is constantly changing anyway. But I don't know that we've seen the team 
that they build <laughs> to put on the field actually match those comments. And that's where I feel like there's a disconnect that if I was setting the agenda, I'd want to make sure all of that meshed before we started moving pieces and, and adding or subtracting players from the mix. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting and, and very well said. I, I think another thing uh, I will say that kind of piggybacks what you said is I would really like to see this be the year that they're not afraid to sit people who aren't playing yeah. well, even if they're making a lot of money. And I'm talking about Matt Carpenter um, because we have Tommy Edmond um, who can play a, a better third base than Matt Carpenter. I'm talking about Dexter Fowler because we have a pretty crowded outfield. Um, to a lesser extent, I'm talking about Yadier Molina, who, uh, you know, it might be time to start seeing Yadi, you know, play about 110, 120 games instead of what, 150, yeah. <laughs> instead of 145 to 150. Uh, I would kind of, as you said, like to start to see the next phase of whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, I know I said last year heading into the season that, look, I'm I'm not sold on Jeff Albert, not because of Jeff Albert, just because, but more because I just don't believe it's possible to be miracle workers um, with these guys. Um, and it turned out to be worse <laughs> than I was expecting it to be. Uh, whether it has to do with Jeff Albert, I don't know, but... Now we are kind of in year two of this. Um, and so if there are similar issues at the plate, I think we can start looking at Jeff Albert and being like, you got to get this together or, or you're going to have to go. I mean, right? I mean, you're the hitting coach. You're the, you're the guy who gets blamed and gets fired when things go poorly. That's just the, that's just the natural order of baseball um, usually. So it would it would be nice to see some sort of hitting philosophy uh, take shape, especially since they kind of doubled down on Jeff Albert at, after they uh, fired uh, Buddha. Yeah, it's. I don't know that there's a really good way to have this conversation from the outside without any real information coming the other direction, and we don't ever get to hear from Jeff Albert, right? So, it, it's it's an interesting thing to talk about, and I'm fascinated by it just because I, I tend to be fascinated by kind of the the science and the art of hitting and how those two things combine. But look, data and strategy are useless if you can't apply them or if the guys on the field can't apply those things. So advancing with science and research, however they want to do that, has to happen with the end in mind of actually being better hitters, not just being smarter pseudoscientists. I don't know, <laughs> whatever it is that you create if they can't translate it onto the field. So that's the thing that to me, is almost bigger than who they go out and sign as a free agent or who they go out and get in a trade or which of the 8,500 outfielders actually make the roster on opening day. Because if you don't have a cohesive hitting philosophy that actually transfers to results on the field, it doesn't matter who those players are as long as they're kind of stuck in this weird in-between of trying to evolve as a hitter and not lose what made them good in the first place. So that that whole part of this is so interesting to me and i wish that i had i wish I, I wish we had a better way to kind of gauge where that is and and how they're going about that process and 
you know, maybe if we have the chance to to ask Mo end of the year questions like we have in the past, that's something that I can ask, but it'll probably just get a, a non-answer from him. Um, so, you know, if Jeff Albert, who I believe is on Twitter, is just casually listening to this podcast, we'd love to have you on the show so that I can ask you all these hard-hitting questions uh, so that you can not answer them. But anyway, it's a, it's a fascinating part of this puzzle. I think it's, to me, one of the most important parts of the puzzle because, like I said, if you don't establish that and you don't figure out what you're going to do with these guys when you get them, it doesn't matter who is on the roster. Yeah, and no, you're right. And I should also say that they did kind of do what I said last year, which is Carpenter stopped playing, or at least he stopped yeah. playing every day. And, you know, yeah. Fowler wasn't exactly a regular. Um, and uh, Yachty, not so much. But, you know, I, I <laughs> would like no to see that. You know, there, there's no sort of um, even impression that they're only playing people because of contracts. Um, yeah. you know, w- we don't need to worry about that anymore. You know, we're, this is going to be year four of the Fowler contract. Um, and you know, I love Fowler. Uh, this is not, this is nothing, uh, against Fowler. He can still help the team. Um, but you know, if he's not hitting very well, then, you know, we don't need to, he doesn't need to play every day. And yeah. I, I don't think that's controversial to say. No, it's ultimately, ultimately a results-based game yeah. so <laughs> the results should be the the primary factor in a lot of those things even if it's not the only factor um we'll talk a lot more about all these things as we go throughout the off season we'll talk about the specifics as rumors start to come up with the cardinals being involved or not involved with some of those big ticket uh free agents and how these things could change but Alex, I, I think that's all that's really relevant to talk about mm-hmm. for now as far as the Cardinals are concerned. So I'm going to throw it to you for the Chirp of the Week. Okay. So you said earlier this is episode 50. Is this is this first episode of season two or is this last episode of season one? Ooh, that's a good – I feel like Maybe it's last the episode last of season, episode. Of season one? Yeah. Nice yeah. even 50. That's a good right, – uh, right. okay, cool, cool. Anyway, Tara in – in 24 years from now, I will be uh, 64 years old, uh, which <laughs> is crazy old, uh, and it just blows my mind that I will be that old. Um, but I will be that old because 24 years is a pretty long time. It's uh, <laughs> if you're lucky, if you're lucky, that's like a quarter of your entire life. Hmm. Um, yeah. That's if you're lucky. If you live an average life, that's about one third of your entire life. Um, and the reason why I bring up 24 is because when the Cardinals won the World Series in 2006, first World Series I, uh, I saw them win. I mean, I was alive for the 1982 World Series, but I was only three, so it didn't count. So this was the first one that really counted. Um, and when they won that World Series in 2006, it had been 24 years since they had last won a World Series, that World Series in 1982. And since the Cardinals first won a World Series in 1926, this was by far the longest they had gone without winning a World Series. This was their biggest drought, the 82 to 2006. And so that's pretty good, right? Uh, And I'm going to go ahead and tell you um, each drought, and and, and not each drought, but how many years in between each World Series title when they first won one. 1926. Five years until they won another one in 1931. And then three years until they won another one in 1934. Eight years until they won another one in 1942. 
two years until they won another one in 1944, two more years until they won another one in 1946. Then they had to wait 18 years until 1964, then just three years to 1967. And then they missed out on all the 70s and had to wait 15 years until that 1982 title. And then the aforementioned 24 years between 82 and 2006, and then just five years between 2006 and 2011. If you add all that up, and uh, again, starting with 1926, so we're not started, we're not t- counting the years, um, you know, when the Cardinals first became a franchise and, you know, wasted that, like, basically first 30 years without really winning anything. <laughs> right. So we're starting when they first won that first World Series. They have won basically a World Series every 8.5 years. That's the average drought or the average number of years between World Series titles. And that's very good news, Tara, because as I just mentioned, and as we all know, they last won a World Series title in 2011. So math tells us that <laughs> next year is the logical year, the 8.5 years, you know, you know, we're rounding up. They obviously didn't win the World Series in 2019. Um, so 2020 is a very logical year for them to win a World Series um, title by the numbers. Um, I certainly don't want to wait another 24 years. That would be the year <laughs> 2035 that seems like back to the future stuff yeah. uh, you know when they went to the future uh, that seems like crazy long time from now now maybe we actually will have flying cars then and I certainly don't want to wait any longer than 24 years uh, so yeah I, I feel good about 2020 that we can keep the 8.5 years intact but other than that your chirp of the week is that 24 number and the fact that from 82 to 2006, if that had really seemed like a long time, that it seemed like the Cardinals were never going to win a World Series until they did win that title in 2006, it's because by their standards, it had been a long time. 24 years, the longest drought uh, the Cardinals have had between World Series titles. That is your trip of the week. It's also been a long time since whatever this replay review that is happening. <laughs> oh, it was a terrible call. It's still terrible happening. Call. I wasn't yeah, watching yeah. when it happened, and I just looked up while you were talking, and it's <laughs> the longest replay review I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so conveniently, we're talking about the length of time between important things happening. Evidently, this is going to be this is how it ends. We all we all die here. In so this a manager, no matter what happens here, and I think the Nationals by the call in the field kind of got screwed. But if they reverse this. The at, a hinge is going to go absolutely insane. Okay, what what phenomenal. was the call on the field? Because Turner's still freaking out. They're saying he was in. He, they're saying he was out of the base path, um, and he was not. No. It was a. It was a. No, it was not even close. And even if it was close, and maybe you could say it was close, not in that situation. Do you make that call? And so the Nats should have had runners on second or third with no outs, and instead, by what they called, they had a runner on first with one out. So if they like, this is such, I, I mean, if do challenges have win probability added uh, because <laughs> this know, would probably be the biggest win probability added challenge, um, maybe in the history of baseball. Uh, also, this is the only game happening and I realize they have like 48 cameras on this show, <laughs> but there's plenty of time to have seen every single one of them multiple times at this point. I cannot imagine why it's taking this long. The umpires also look scared to death right now. Yeah, they do. Uh, they don't want to uh, do whatever they have <laughs> Here's to Here's my right theory. The, the call was made like five and a half minutes ago, and they just don't want to take their headsets well, off. So they're just going to stand there. Since we're recording, I have the game on mute. Um, and so Same. I don't know if Turner looks upset enough 
to make me believe that he's definitely out no matter what. Um, I don't know what's exactly happening here. Uh, there's Mike Rizzo. He doesn't look very happy at all, does he? Um, so I don't know if they're actually looking at something else, like more minor or, or what's going on. But I would think if Turner wasn't absolutely out, he would still be out there by first base, right? I would think or, so. Also, although this he did is, get called out on the field, so maybe not. I don't know. That's true. I don't. I don't. It's very weird. And uh, my last thought on it is that Turner without a helmet. Oh wait, here's the call. Um, first of all, he looks like he's 17 and also has much better hair than I realized. So congrats <laughs> to him for that, even though he was called out on this mystery play that I'm going to have to go back and watch now. <gasps> oh, Davey, go get kicked out. Davey, go get kicked out. You, if I'm Davey Martinez, I'm getting kicked out of this game right now. If he hasn't already been kicked out, I haven't seen him. Did he already get uh, You know, he he, they just, I don't think so. I think now we're showing did. the whole thing from I, no, another there angle. He is. What a weird moment. This is a horrible call. So that's how this ends. As we we survived the longest replay of all time. But um, anyway, back to your back to your for the week right, that yeah, I yeah. got totally distracted by. Uh, I like that it wrapped up the theory very nicely that 2020 is the year. So um, let's let's go with that and see what happens. Now that I, I've thoroughly distracted both of us by getting us wrapped up back in this game, um, we're going to end this show and hopefully the remainder of this game is as interesting as that just was, whatever it was that just happened. And uh, that ends season one of Chirps, I believe is what we've just decided. So once again, <laughs> thank you to all of you for listening and for chiming in and for just being lovely and supportive. And uh, we hope that you continue to enjoy the things that we <laughs> discuss while watching baseball <laughs> um, and bringing you along with us for the ride. So follow birds on the black. I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at Alex card 79 on Twitter. Make sure that you tell us your baseball or your real world equivalent of bat flips, because I'm very curious what you all will come up with because you're very clever and we will be back with you. I'm sure that we'll be a little hit or miss during the off season just because life happens, but don't worry. We'll inform you whenever we're going to miss a show and let us know if there's anything, any burning questions you want us to, uh, to take on as we wait for baseball to return. So that is that. He's Alex. I'm Tara. We'll talk to you next time.